Thank you. I am nervous. And I'm like, I'm speaking a few times this month. So if anybody's heard me, I hope it's different or you don't have to stay. Um, and I realized I'm nervous because you're my family. It's always hardest to, I guess, do something in, with your family. But anyway, Judy, compulsive overeater. Um, everything I share, I probably heard on a meeting. So I'm not going to say I heard someone say this, but uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'll always be a compulsive overeater, and I'm going to die a compulsive overeater. Nothing's ever going to change that fact. But I do not have to die in this disease or live in this disease active in my life. Um, I am a, as I've heard shared, an industrial strength eater, a low bottom eater, and I am a speed eater and a volume eater. And um, just two examples of the kind of volume that I could eat. I remember... Um, probably in my early 20s, taking a big soup pot and filling it with oil and cutting up a five pound bag of potatoes, filling a turkey platter, dousing it in salt and ketchup that made them barely editable from all the salt. And I ate it anyway. And um, I happened to like the turkey platter size for a dinner plate. And another time I went on a, a high protein diet and I just used the turkey platter to have all my protein. So I am definitely a, a volume eater, um, which is why I have to weigh and measure my food and commit it because I cannot eyeball food. A big bowl looks like one serving size to me. Um, you know, and just to add, you know, with step one, I thought when I came in, my only problem was with food, but um, through repeated four steps, I've seen how insane my life was and as I, I do like to share anything I've ever done in my life, I thought was a good idea when I did it. I didn't, I never consider consequences because it just seemed like the right thing to do. The crazy diets, the abuse I put my body through when I was bulimic in my 20s, um, going to places with strangers I did not know in foreign countries where I did not even know the language. Um, you know, taking drugs from people I didn't know, driving drunk. Um, it it was just endless. Um, and in my last relapse, I did things I swore I'd never do. That's where food takes me. I have no moral compass. It's not even broken. There just is none. Um, so when I when I was young, uh, I just always had this desire for more food. Like it was this insatiable appetite. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I was put on my first diet at seven where I went to um, diet camp for two months. And then I went for the next nine summers. And uh, and then I was on a diet just like all the time. So like my, all those formation years was just spent trying to stay on a diet. And I did believe that a diet was a solution to every problem I had because then I'd lose weight and life would be grand. Um, I have a memory of, you know, being in high school in like 10th grade and buying a sandwich from the vending machine after school. I was waiting for my brother, running into the bathroom stall, eating it as quickly as I could, going back out, buying another one eating it as quickly as I could in a bathroom stall. I had so much shame around eating in front of other people. I um, I learned early on to steal food from our refrigerator and I used to put it in a towel or shove it down my pants and, uh, and, and like run up to my room and tell my parents like, oh, I need this towel, you know, like they didn't know. 
Um, we didn't have sweets in our house. The so sweets has, I mean, I love sweets, you know, as I say, never met a dessert I didn't like, but my house is filled with carbs. Oh my God. I was such a carb addict. And, um, if you can imagine this, my, uh, my mother, I remember, um, used to, she went through a phase, her own little phases where she worked in a flea market and this guy would give her the bread that was going to go bad. And we had a big stand-up freezer and she literally brought home a whole bag filled with breads and put in the freezer. So it was just like, you know, open season for me. I could just eat as much as I wanted. Um, my, uh, Shame about my body started in high school. I was terrified for people to see the back of me. I was told how bad my hips and thighs were, and I always had to wear a sweater to cover it. So I always had shame about my body. My mom, who I love more than anything, and she died in 1999, and we have the best relationship today than we've ever had, but she had this disease. And she believed the lies she told herself, and I believe the lies that she told me. And um, I remember there were three of them, never meant to hurt me, only meant to help me. The first one was, Judy, you look okay from the front, just don't turn around. And, you know, I used to think like if people saw my butt, it'd be like looking at a car accident, you know, they'd have to shriek in horror. She said, and this one I really did believe till probably this recovery, no one's going to like you as much, even your friends and family. And I believe that. And I believe that my husband's family didn't like me because of my weight, which is crazy. And um, and the other one was after my first job interview, she said, if the job is between you and if in person, then person will get it. And so that kind of like molded how I live my life. I, I went for jobs that I was overqualified for. Um, well, when I got out of college, I was a real mess. I'll tell you that a real mess. I didn't even go to my college graduation. And, you know, I remember like trying to find a job with my four-year degree. And I went by, I said, one of those motels that you rent by the hour. And I remember going in there to apply for the job. And the guy's like, you know, what kind of motel this is? I'm like, oh yeah. Like I didn't get the job, but I, I just had no self-esteem, no self-worth. And that was clearly evident by the, um, some of the people that I placed in my life um, before I've only had two serious relationships in my life. And before that I had two relationships in my life. One was with a, a guy I met in college who I didn't know had a girlfriend the entire time. He didn't go to our school. He didn't have a driver's license. I assume he lost it. And our relationship consisted of me being going to his apartment two o'clock in the morning drunk. And the other relationship I had was with a girl. I was 21. She was 18. She was a raging alcoholic and in love with somebody else the entire time. So those were the two relationships I started with. And then um, I've had two other relationships. I had an eight-year relationship with a wonderful woman, Nancy. We owned a house together. I thought that was my life. And I've been with my husband, Dave. Uh, we've been together 32 years and uh, married 29 years. I don't label myself. I have no idea what I am. And I say this in truth and honesty, I only want to be faithful, body, mind, and heart, which, you know, body and heart, I mean, mind and heart can be the biggest challenge, but God's really helped me with that. Um, in my early 20s, I really bottomed out in this disease. 
I um, just went through some hard times, bad car accident. My grandmother died, who was my everything. And I stopped going out of the house for two years. Um, and I get that TV show where people weigh 600 pounds because, you know, my mom brought me my food. I mean, they didn't know what to do with me. Never asked me if I needed help. Um, and I honestly did not know if I was ever going to leave the house again. I remember, you know, looking at the kids walking to school and just crying because um, I wanted to go out, but I just couldn't. And I remember I lived <laughs> during the day. I would go outside at this plastic shelf. I bring out a TV and my phone and a chair. And I lived in the backyard and my dog. And, uh, you know, I lived in fantasy land. And I am very grateful for my fantasies because they saved me. I dreamt constantly of a better life that I would have one day. And I do. I had no idea how it was going to happen. I didn't believe in God. I used to write letters to my grandmother who died. But I was desperate. And I remember uh, my mother got really sick and I was terrified of her dying. And this is when I was still in my room. And I still remember this like really greasy looking TV minister. And he said, if you need healing or need somebody who does, put your finger to the TV set. And I did. I was like desperate. I will tell you, I grew up uh, Jewish, but we weren't. I mean, we didn't practice anything. The only time I ever heard the word God was, you know, if you're bad, God's going to punish you. So um, anyway, there must have been a God because one day I woke up and put myself on a diet. I do not know how big I got. I will tell you before. I uh, went into my room, so to speak, uh, my clothes. I used to buy my jeans at the big and men's department in a store here, and they didn't fit anymore, the big size. And I used to have to time shut with a rope, and I uh, wore this huge T-shirt. So actually, I have some pictures to show you guys. I don't know why right now I'll do that, but I'm going to right now. Seems like the right time. So this is after my first recovery when I... Um, married my husband so you know that's my father not my husband so I looked like really you know pretty normal and then um this was me six years later this is at the height of my first relapse I'll tell you I'm down about uh 170 pounds from the height of my first relapse and I'm down about 110 or 120 pounds so that's another picture of me this is somewhat before I came back to this recovery, always smiling. And I was always smiling because I truly believed that I looked at least 100 pounds less than I did. I was just convinced of it. And that there is a designer handbag because I thought a designer handbag would make you all think I wasn't fat. And this is me this Christmas, what I look like. So I do uh, consider myself a modern day miracle for sure. So I came into OA. I loved OA. I just like became in my, I was a legend in my own mind. I lost all my weight. I sponsored a gazillion people before cell phones, speaking service. Oh my God. The problem was I thought I looked so good. <laughs> I just thought I was there. And, you know, pride comes before the fall. And I probably was on like a 50 story building when I fell. And um, it was hard. You know, I more than doubled my weight in that first recovery, terrified to come back. And I had a great recovery, huge spiritual awakening. Well, to me, it was huge because I like switched religions. I joined the Catholic Church and I worked hard to try to become a, a Catholic, but I just couldn't follow the rules. 
that was the problem. I remember when I was, yes, I was with Nancy while I was doing all this thinking, oh my God. And then uh, when I started uh, dating my husband, Dave, I remember thinking, what's worse? He's still legally married or he's going to be divorced. He was in the middle of a divorce. So I did leave that church shortly after I converted and uh, joined, uh, you know, some other churches. And today I don't go to church. I do something I used to make fun of people for doing. I watch TV ministers. And, um, but anyway, uh, I don't want to forget to say, you know, I like to say God is the most important thing in my life without exception, but you would never know it sometimes how I acted because it's very easy for me to make false gods. So, um, so I fell hard. I learned believing in God is never going to keep me abstinent. I need to have the OA program in my face every single day. And I learned that through this recovery too, because there were definitely a few times I veered and I could have easily gone back out and somehow God like swatted me back in the path. So I came back uh, 11 years and a few months ago. I, as I said on Tuesday, celebrated my 11th year on Tuesday. I've been maintaining, I, you know, I, I struggle to say a healthy body weight for a few years now, a bunch of years, because, you know, as I heard somebody share, what's the perfect weight? Zero. And, you know, my, my body shape has changed a little bit. And I, I struggle with that. And, you know, I'm 65. Like, what do I think? I think I want to look like I did when I was 35 and I lost my weight the first time. So I came back because I was retiring early and I heard you should you should get your life in order before you retire. So I came back to OA. I called an old sponsor, begged her to come to a meeting with me, stuffed myself into this skin tight outfit so people wouldn't realize all well, the gate I weight I gained. And you know, my first two recoveries, I got abstinent that first meeting. I didn't this time. And I remember, you know, like going to that meeting and crying. Each week, I put down the food. And I, um, you know, all I was doing was going to a way and pay online and going to one meeting a week. And, you know, as I have shared before, I believe we get abstinent in our sleep because I hosted Christmas 11 years ago. And, uh, and I stuck to my diet. And then I just polished off all the bowls when everybody left. And then the next morning, I woke up and somehow stuck to my food plan. And, you know, so we never know when day one is and when it's going to lead to who knows how many days. And three days later, I went to my weekly meeting and somebody said they were available to sponsor. So I didn't know one thing about her. I didn't care one thing about her. I just knew she was a sponsor and I needed one. So I'm not looking for any perfect sponsor or anything. I'm on my third sponsor in this recovery. And each one has brought me to somewhere I needed to be. All I knew is she was abstinent and I wasn't. So she had what I wanted. Um, so I say that for people, if you don't have a sponsor and you can't put down the food, it's probably a really good place to start. And another good place to start is not telling your sponsor how you want to be sponsored. <laughs> Listen to them. Um, and you know, my OA recovery began then, and it's been quite a journey these last 11 years. Um, there were two distinct times I was really veering off the path. One time I'd gotten sick and just was out of it for a while. And the other time was when I moved here to this community four and a half years ago, I'm in an over 55. I decided um, to put my social life before my OA program. My OA program was skimping. And I see how I could have veered and then COVID came and it let me put things in perspective. I was able to, um, to, to go to meetings several times a day if I wanted to. And uh, I know I had some things here I did want to share. Um, 
So, you know, as I heard Sharon, I know I can't fit OA into my life. My life has to revolve around OA. I am a desperate, hopeless, compulsive overeater. I know that. I know how easy it is for me to think I'm normal. I'm not, ever. Will I be normal with food? Um, I do have to weigh, measure, commit my food to my sponsor every day. Um, I love my digital scale. It's a safety blanket for me. I have peace and freedom knowing there's some foods I will not eat today, a day at a time for the rest of my life. I love them not even being an option. I do have food neutrality, which is a miracle. If you saw what I served for Christmas, wow. And I do, as I should, I have a box of plastic food handler gloves on my in my kitchen, and I wear them constantly when I'm working with food that I don't eat. As soon as it gets on the gloves, into the garbage. Um, and I used to think people were full of it when they said that food neutrality, because that totally eluded me. Um, you know, one of the things I have to deal with, and I still deal with this, that my body size is not my identity. I struggle with that to this day. I really thought being a normal size was a ticket to people liking me, and it wasn't true. Nobody wanted to be my friend just because I lost weight, and that really pisses me off. I mean, if I believed you didn't like me when I was overweight, why don't you like me now? So I do have to um, deal with still my insecurity feelings. Um, so some gifts of this program. Oh, and this I just discovered recently from somebody sharing. It just hit me like, I don't do things that are good or bad. I do things that either are self-harm or self-care. And I just like looking at it that way. It's just such a nice, gentle approach. I really learned about the love of God that's been so incredibly healing to me, like, once I started fathoming it, like I have done everything to destroy everything in my life. I could have easily lost my job. Oh my God, the things I did with my job, with people at my job, inappropriate things. Um, I literally broke my marriage in half. It was done. I went to a divorce lawyer and our marriage is better than ever. And I retired from my company. I, um, I used to play the stock market like going on a crash diet. I'll make money quick. We know how well crash dieting works. And we live in a house. I can't even imagine how we got this house. And we're comfortable. Um, so I real and of course my abstinence I threw away. So I realized every good thing in my life I threw away and God gave it all back to me in more. And I envision it as a table piled high with a bunch of crap. And he just boom, swept it all off the table and didn't even care what was on there. So the love of God has been uh so incredibly healing in my life. One of the greatest gifts I've also gotten is a relationship with my brother, but I tell him I love him every time before I get off the phone. I see him once a year. They don't live near here. It's a lot. Um, and as I share my relationship with my mother, especially, is better than it's ever been. It just continues to grow. I don't know how that's possible with her being gone for so long. Um, things that have helped me, I have to have non-negotiables. I do everything every single day. Um, two things, my, sp my sponsor is amazing, but two things she has said to me, I have to want abstinence recovery more than I want to breathe. And just because I like the color of paint on a wall, I'm not going to go over and lick it. She's very funny. Someone on this meeting taught me this. If it's not an option for me, it's not a problem for me. So there's lots of things that aren't options. Um, I have to learn to sit with being uncomfortable. I'm either working my recovery or I'm making excuses all actions I take are towards recovery or relapse. 
And I'm going to get good at what I practice every day. So I can either practice my recovery or I can practice my disease. So I have no idea what I said. I have eight seconds left. I just want to say you guys are my family. This is my home group. It's been an honor to be able to do service on this meeting. And my time is up. Thanks.